You are Locked On Mavericks, your daily podcast on the Dallas Mavericks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked on Mavericks for Tuesday, November 29th in the year 2016. My name is Mike Marshall. I'm one of your hosts, and you can follow me at Machine Sports on Twitter if you're so inclined. And hey, Jake's back. Hey, Jake, how are you? How's it going, Mikey? Doing awesome, buddy. Doing awesome. We got a, we got a win the other night. <laughs> got a win, a hard-fought win. We got a Wes Matthews-fueled win. We did. He was playing like a maniac. Fourth quarter was pretty special for him. I don't know. I mean... It's almost like disappointing whenever he's really good because you're like, man, there's a little something here if you just don't if you don't expect much. But then that's like the right. faintest praise ever. But right, if you lower the conga bar low enough or bring it up, bring it up high enough, I guess he'll, then get, up, he'll get under. He'll, it. He sneaks under it every once in a while and impresses yeah. you. And I have my first Mavs game of the year tomorrow night. Wow, that's incredible. That we haven't done a post game I know. Uh, until this very moment. I think next Monday I'm doing Mavs post. Yeah, and then uh, I got my last off day. Then we have Wednesday, so at least uh, at least I'll be from now on. I'll be at probably at least sixty per, sixty to seventy percent of the home games. So, if nothing else, in this uh, this year where we're doing daily Mavs podcast for you, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever. That's just what I think we should say from now on, or wherever you get podcasts, or, or whatever you're into. <laughs> um, I will be able to start providing halftime show reports, I believe, on a Ooh, daily basis. So that's something the podcast has been missing. Yeah. If we're uh, if we're discussing whether or not um, the Mavericks should be trying to lose games, we can also add into that, and you can give us your faults review, maybe. Yeah, that's happening Thursday. On Thursday, so we'll uh, Thursday's podcast will likely be about one minute uh, on the Spurs, about eight minutes on Rubber Boy, and about five minutes <laughs> to six minutes on Markel Fultz, so we can keep these things at fifteen minutes for you and keep you sane throughout the Mavs season. That's the loose run sheet as of right now for Thursday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we are part of the uh, the larger Locked On Podcast Network. Check out your uh, your favorite football team, your favorite uh, fantasy sport to partake in as well. Um, I don't think the Cowboys podcast is going to scout Deshaun Watson or anything like that this weekend, but <laughs> we're going to see, or I'm going to see, maybe with uh, with Justin uh, Wednesday nights, go see Markel Fultz over at TCU. So that's going to be fun at least. Um, but uh, let's pick up a conversation we were having last time we were on, which was uh, exactly a week ago today before we took our uh, Thanksgiving break. And that is um, the idea that everyone in the room is going to silently but uh, but overwhelmingly agree that this thing needs some some formation of a uh, of a rebuild. And everyone nodding and we're not going to say this publicly, like Cuban yesterday, whenever his comments came out, that, uh, no, we're not tanking. Um, but he also added in there, well, we're not playing good, well enough to win either. So um, what really annoys me about Cuban every time he makes one of these comments is uh, he tries to, like, uh, poo-poo on the draft as if he's watched any of it, which really annoys me. Um, he's like, ah, I didn't see any, none of these kids were on the cover of SI yet, so there's no Shaqs or LeBrons. <laughs> In this draft, which is just annoying to me from somebody that's, uh, that really loves teams that are built through the draft. But anyway, so say everybody agrees that this is the end of the rope. 
We uh, we really tried to put together a great team. This is not the anomaly. This is the new future for the Mavericks. And uh, it needs to be built around Harrison Barnes. And going forward, this is a, uh, a breakdown, build-back-up situation. The question we asked last time was, is this front? does this front office have the stomach for it, and is Rick Carlisle the man for that job? Um, and he was on True Hoop with Mark Stein, which I would advise you to listen to, and he said some interesting things, <clears throat> pardon me, along those lines. The thing that kept getting to me is he's done this, I don't know, through the first 16 games uh, pretty repeatedly, which is saying, just got to get through this. Just got to get through this. Just got to get through this. And then I'm like, are you talking about this season or this stretch of games? Yeah, I mean, he's not going to actually come out and say, hey, I'm I'm okay with us losing. And I do think that they'd probably be three to four wins better, which would put them, you know, not that far under 500 if they were, what, seven and uh, nine right now, if they were fully healthy. It's mm. probably not reasonable to expect a team this old to be for, uh, fully healthy. But even with Dirk, if they just had fully healthy Dirk, which he's been pretty healthy over the last five years, I think they'd be better. So I don't think it was not that's an obvious statement, but they would still be around what we thought they'd be. So I think for him, he knows that and he can't publicly say we're we're pretty much out of it already because Dirk is going to come back. And this is going to be something we all have to wrestle with is what do we want from the Mavericks this year? Because the reality is the time is now for them to they need a top five pick for an They really could use an upgrade at just about every position. Yeah. So I think that he knows that they're not going to make the playoffs this year. I think he knows that they probably, given that they're 10 games under 500 right now, I think he probably knows that they can, they don't really have to try to do anything to end up with one of the five worst records in the NBA right now because mm-hmm. they got off to such a bad start. And there's so many other teams that are good and actually trying to win now and that are way younger. I mean, who's to say that this is the only injury Dirk will have this year? Right. So I, I don't know. I, I think that he is saying just get through this stretch. What he means is just get through this year. Yeah, that's exactly how I took it. Because he almost says it and uh, and then adds whatever time frame is convenient for a quote <laughs> at the end. He's like, ah, oh, let's just get through this uh, stretch of games. This uh, Let's just get through this November. Um, so the odd thing about having this question about Rick this early on in uh, in his, I guess, his extension hasn't even started yet. That's the weird thing. Yeah. Um, his new five-year deal takes uh, takes action 2017, 2018, and spans through 2021, 2022. So he's got five on top of the end of his current deal, where he will be the, at that time, whenever it starts, it might be different, but right now that's the richest contract for uh, any coach that doesn't have executive privileges, basically, and he probably does have some level of executive privileges with this team. But sure, um, he signed on for through 2022, which tells you that he has fully thought through what the next step is after Dirk Nowitzki. But I don't know if he honestly thought that was rebuild. I don't remember when did they redo this contract last in the middle of the season last year. That seems right, yeah. But let me. I well, pull up I don't know. I mean, I think that I think he he has to somewhere know that if you're signing up for five more years, 
and your best player is 38, that even if your rebuild is not like you don't have to become a team that loses 60 games for three years in a row, mm-hmm. you got to know that there's going to be some having to play really young players and having to lose a lot for at least a year or two to become competitive again. So on the one side, I look at his contract and I think, well, he obviously knows what this is going to take. Uh, and he may just like it here enough. And I honestly, like, listening to him talk to Stein, I kind of feel like he might enjoy the challenge of this a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not to say that if he didn't want to deal with it at this point of his career that he would be, you know, mentally weak or something. But I do feel like he struck a tone that was almost like, this is reminding me what it's like to to have been in different time, you know, whenever he was in Indiana or Detroit. Mm-hmm. And they had such a run of dominance with him here. And he kind of, you know, he kind of picked up a team that was already pretty good whenever he took over for Avery. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I kind of was reassured listening to him talk about it um, with Stein in, in the sense that he almost seems like he's into it. Now, the con side of that is I just don't know that I've seen much in his temperament over the last half decade plus that indicates to me that he wants to put up with bringing along a 19-year-old point guard. Yeah, I mean, your words can be one thing, but at some point your actions define you. And what he's shown over the last couple of years, um, and I guess since his tenure started here, is that he doesn't have a whole lot of time for young dudes at any position. Um, He's withered point guards into basically nothing um, along the same lines of what Avery did whenever Avery was here, but he's made it work at the end of the day. Yeah. Avery didn't, Avery didn't make it work at the end of the day. And, um, yeah, at some point <laughs> you can look at a sheet of paper and see how many minutes he's going to play a young dude. But also I am kind of intrigued to see what an entire young team that grew up under Rick Carlisle would look like. Cause he keeps getting these guys that are younger and have stopped other places and they have to regain trust in him or earn his trust and he's trying to mold them into some form of, you know, the Rick Carlisle model soldier. What if he has three to four dudes that are, you know, extremely young, very talented, and they grew up in his household? Like, what would that look like? And that, by the way, that deal was signed early November last year, so basically the beginning of the season, um, which is, was a completely different time than now. <laughs> it was, but you also knew that um, anybody with – you know, half an eye to the league knew Parsons was going to opt out. Mm-hmm. You knew that they had already swung and missed on DeAndre. You yep. knew that Dirk uh, was going to be ending a contract after that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you knew that Darren Williams is quite old and quite injury prone. Like, you might not have been able to look at November 29th of 2016 and say we're going to be 3-13, and but... I don't know that the overall picture of the franchise is that different than it was when he signed that deal. Because, one, to me, he seems to like Barnes more than Parsons. So, in that oh, sense, yeah. it's an upgrade. Um, he, you know, he speaks incredibly highly of HB. And he really never did of Parsons. I feel like him and Parsons were friends. But he was always feeling like he had to ride his ass to get something out of him. And mm-hmm. every comment that I hear him make about Harry is... It doesn't have anything to do with riding his ass. Like, right. it only has to do deal with like the technical side of how is he going to handle, you know, as he called it, this seat at the big boys' table. But he seems to like Barnes more than Parsons. Um, and then they're going to have a top five pick 
if this all shakes out the way that we think it will. So really, I'm not sure that when he signed that, that this is that different than what he could have expected. I mean, people say you can't expect Dirk to get hurt. I would say you actually can because he's 38. Mm-hmm. And that's that's and to your point about if they had a number of dudes here, I mean, hell, I even feel like his words about Anderson indicate that, look, he knows he's not going to be a great player, but he likes his game because he knows that he is really, really committed. Right. And so even that guy, I feel like, is going to end up being, if you know, at best a B minus player on this team, is he probably would have been a C minus or a D plus player on another team. So I love the idea of Rick getting two years of top five picks, and then even a couple years of uh, of high second round picks, and then they'd still be pretty active in free agency. So that you know, at the start of two seasons from now, if he's still here, I feel good about their chances of rebuilding under him. It all comes down to whether he wants to do it. Because a lot of people will say, well, Rick doesn't play young guys. Well, he doesn't play Shane Larkin. Nobody did. Yeah, one, they were trying to make the playoffs, like really trying. And two, they haven't had a talent anywhere close to what they could end up with in this draft in forever. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't really know that the Rick doesn't want to play young guys thing holds up. Now, he may play them and be too hard on him. Yeah, I think I think Al Camino is the one that sticks out to me. The the whole month worth of basically DNPs um in his his first his only season here. Whenever he played really he played pretty well the first month, couldn't shoot, so they stopped him down and made him work on basically shooting for a month. And then he came back and earned himself a 4-year, $40 million contract, you know. Even that, though, was complicated by the fact that they had positional glut with they were still trying to play Dirk a ton, and they Mm -hmm. were obviously, anytime Parsons was healthy, they wanted to get as much out of him as they could because they knew that he (laughs) wasn't under contract that much longer. And Aminu really came along when Parsons wasn't playing, which was quite often. Mm -hmm. Um, But even that has been weird. The reality is is that as much as it's going to suck to see Dirk go... It will, in some way, lighten the burden they have on personnel decisions with like, oh, you can't play this guy with this guy. This guy doesn't fit here. We can't do this here. I mean, it's going to be, if nothing else, a blank slate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he used the quotes, uh, <laughs> the end of the world as we know it, whenever Dirk leaves. Which that scared me a little bit. Yeah, that did. That did. I don't know if he's just being dramatic or, um, you know, he's clearly thought past this moment and even next year's moment. Um, back to your point on like last year, November 5th versus this year, November 29th. I don't know if anything's necessarily changed long-term, like three to four, three to five year window. I think he totally expected to be competitive this year and he bought into being competitive this year and being competitive next year, which is still up in the air. Obviously that's a big, that's a big question mark. I think that's the only thing that's changed is the level of, um, how competitive they can be in this 82 game season, which honestly is like being bad in a long form season sport is pretty awful. <laughs> like that's a traumatizing th- thing. Like uh, just follow a Cowboys season or a Rangers season when they're bad. There's nothing worse than uh, being a part of a non-competitive long season. But and then back to your other point about Harrison Barnes. Um, he loves that dude. Like he really, really likes that dude. It's such a uh, such a change of pace compared to um, he and Parsons communicating to each other through the media which is basically like you uh, throwing shade at your wa- uh, at your wife by talking through your dog. 
<laughs> like real condescending, <laughs> like real condescending, like uh, talking to your dog about the person that's laying next to you or something like that. Um, a couple of other things that were interesting in here that he uh, he threw out. This was from uh, after the San Antonio game, so maybe a week ago or so. But he said that uh, Barnes is definitely moving back to the three when Dirk comes back. Um, and I stumbled across uh, something interesting yesterday in what Memphis did with Zebo and moving him to the bench and basically just letting him use about 30% of their possessions and have him be their second uh, team offense. And it's worked really well for them, actually. And that got me thinking about, um, could your second unit just basically be J.J. Barea and Dirk uh, pick and pops? Because no one's going to have a second unit that can defend that. Yeah, that has, just, been, that has been my uh, hope for uh, about two years now. Yeah, when, I think when, that'd be brilliant. When, when we discussed the possibility of keeping Parsons, to me it was like... I just don't want to play this guy at the four anymore. And you, you see a, a sometimes Barnes is better equipped for it than Parsons is, so you can have the conversation a little bit more. But it's much more likely that he ends up getting uh, Anthony Davis or you know even a Baca backing him down a little bit playing there. But I don't care. I, I, just, I think I'd, I just would rather roll with him at the four and you know need a significant upgrade defensively uh from what Bogut has been although he's come along a little bit and his passing is still as great as we thought it would be mm-hmm. but you would need a you would need a better five yeah a younger more springy five but to me I think you could still play Dirk next year like 22 to 25 minutes a night and play him with Berea and I just don't think anybody is stopping that. And I think No. And I and I think we've as we've talked about ad nauseum, it gives you the ability to maybe play Matthews more at the three and mm-hmm. you know, you're looking a little more aggressively for a two that can score, it has a little bit of something off the bounce. I mean that to me has been and I don't care that you're paying him twenty five million dollars because one, uh, it doesn't really matter if if you have a rookie playing point guard for you who makes nothing and you yeah. have a uh you know, you have a guy in Berea who he's playing with, who is making four and a half a year, who is still able to score, you know, 15 points a game off the bench. It doesn't really matter to me. Like, I would never look at Dirk coming off the bench and being like, oh, you can't bring him off the bench because he's making all this money. That that right. may apply to some guys. It doesn't apply to him. Yeah. Just just imagine being a opposing coach. And, okay, first quarter's rolling along. You get to the uh, the seven-minute mark. And uh, you got like a four-point lead, and you're going to roll out your, you know, your whatever, your Corey Joseph, Patrick Patterson second unit, and then all of a sudden they throw freaking Dirk and J.J. Barea at you. Like, what the hell do you do? Like, that is some fresh hell that you can't stop. Um, And that fixes, dude, that just, that's the identity of the second unit, and that fixes everything um, in terms of bench scoring to me and what, how they can bend a defense. And obviously you can roll that group in the last five minutes if you want to. Yeah. Um, just because you, you don't start doesn't mean you don't finish. I mean, that's the Jason Terry uh, trick they pulled. And I think Dirk would do it. I think it's always been about, like, whenever Aldridge was free, it was, mm. he was asked a lot about it. I think it's always been about whether or not he feels like it would upgrade the team. And if mm-hmm. he doesn't feel like it's going to make the team any better, then, you know, maybe he's not as into it. But – you know, there's not like a ton of two guards that are available in this free agent class. Mm-hmm. So it just would depend on whether or not like it really does make you better. Like, let's say they end up starting Markel Fultz at the one next year. 
mm-hmm. you become it becomes a question of okay, like let's say that you go out and you pay Rudy Gay, and yeah. Rudy Gay is now starting at the three, and you've got a, a unit of Barnes, Rudy Gay, Matthews, Fultz, and fill in your, the blank for your five, mm-hmm. and then Dirk and Bray coming off the bench. I mean, I think that team's pretty good. Yeah, I think it's better than the one they have now. But I think you're also now committed to another early 30s guy for several years in gay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if it was like Gordon Hayward, okay, now we're talking. Right. Yeah. So, it's just a weird – like, I still think they're going to be able to be active in free agency this year. But even that becomes a weird deal because, you know, for example, that's why Philadelphia hasn't paid anyone is because they want to play as many young players as possible so that they can have as high of a pick as possible. And I could see Rick – Stomaching this year, I could see Rick saying, okay, I will start a 20-year-old at the point. I don't know that I could see him saying, and Dirk saying, I will just... Because if you, it's pretty easy to tell uh, when you're tanking, whenever you just look at how active you are in free agency. Mm-hmm. Like, what they're doing right now is not necessarily tanking. They're just bad because they're hurt. But if you right. go into free agency and you've got like $18 million and you don't spend any of it, or you basically just piecemeal it together to get to the floor, that's kind of a different message. Mm-hmm. And Dirk is not going to the bench if the decision is that they're going to start like Justin Anderson at the two. And, yeah. you know, like he's only going to go to the bench if it makes them better. And I think that's, that's possible to do. But in that case, you're probably right back into the 40 win range. 35 to 40 win range, which means you only are going to be bad for one year. But I'd be, I would be okay with that as long as the guy that they end up signing is a guy who's like similar to Harrison Barnes in the point of his career. Yeah, no, I'd be, I'd be okay with that. I mean, we talked about we're kind of, we're pretty much bought into the rebuild and realizing that next year you can't fix everything in one off season with what's wrong with this team right now. Um, you can get back to competitive which is 35 to 40 wins, but you can't fix everything in, you know, one July or, uh, or one draft night. Um, one last thing on the, uh, the Rick, um, Rick comments with, uh, with Mark Scott, Mark Stein on the true hoops podcast was, uh, I can't, couldn't help but think that, okay. Parsons is gone. He's long gone. He'll, you know, Cuban said this stupid, uh, line of, uh, he'll be back someday working for us in some capacity or something, whatever. Um, not while Rick's here, <laughs> um, but um, I wonder if the Parsons thing and, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, his relationship with uh, Cuban caused any kind of schism between Rick and Cuban in the front office at all, because they were such pals. They were uh, letting Parsons make uh, personnel decisions. And we always think about, oh, that's fun. Those dudes are, you know, they like to go uh, get crazy and have fun together and talk about basketball and have big ideas. But that's kind of the opposite of Rick. Yeah. Um, he's almost like standing outside the uh, the window, sitting there watching everyone have fun inside the bar. Um, and I just wonder if that caused any kind of schism in Rick or any kind of doubt of his long-term future of being with the Mavericks or if he can trust Mark to make decisions like that. Well, I would, I can almost guarantee you that it, whether it was a full-blown schism or it was at least a disagreement. Now, the question would be, was that rehabbed by Mark basically conceding uh, the L on that one and bringing in Barnes instead? Because, like, yeah. we, like if we said, if Rick is that into Barnes, which he definitely seems to be, then that feels like a Rick-type move. 
And maybe the fact that, you know, I, I feel like Cuban and Rick have what I would call, what I think a great relationship is, is when you can fight, disagree, be pissy, but it just doesn't turn into a, uh, a full-blown knockdown drag out and something that basically colors the rest of your relationship. So there's right. no doubt that they have gotten into it over personnel before. And they probably have gotten into it over things like Cuban yelling at refs or uh, banning media from the Mavs games or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think the fact that they brought Barnes back, that to me feels like at least some level of you know white flag from Mark. And, and not saying, I'm not saying he doesn't like Barnes too, but if they, had a, if they would have brought Parsons back and then Parsons... Dude, because even think back to the Rondo trade. We all know Rick didn't want the Rondo trade, but he tried to make it work because he knows that's his job. Right. And there, are, I mean, there aren't that many teams in the NBA that he could go to that would be good teams where he's going to have as much of a personnel say as he does here. Yeah. I mean, they're just that, that list is pretty short. You've got to basically go to a situation like Van Gundy did in Detroit uh, if you want that level of personnel control. They're coming along nicely, but that's a different deal. I think that... You know, I I don't know. I think that the fact that they went the direction of Barnes to me says that if they had brought back Parsons and then Rick is having to play a guy who, first of all, is somewhat of a liability in some areas and, more importantly, is not available like half the season. I mean, I just think that's what ended up pissing off Bar- uh, Rick about Parsons is it's like, dude, I can't get a rotation. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like Rick has, um, in his 10 cards that he has in his pocket, he has a couple draw four cards that he can use maybe once every other couple of years. And I feel like the Parsons deal was one of them. Yes. He put his he put his foot down and said, you know, you've had your fun. This hasn't worked. This guy never plays. We can't add other players because of his salary. This has to end. Yeah. <laughs> like, you got to straighten up a little bit. <laughs> a come-to-Jesus moment for Cuban. But, um, all right, fascinating stuff with, uh, with Carlisle. Tomorrow we might uh, preview Spurs a little bit and then discuss – some of the articles that are flying around about the Mavericks at the moment. So, uh, yeah, thank you for listening to Locked On Mavericks. They host the Spurs tomorrow night. Jake will be on the post-game call, and then they fly out to Charlotte the next day. So uh, thanks for listening. Feel free to uh, rate, review, subscribe on whatever the hell you use. And, uh, Jacob, thank you for your time. Yes, sir. 